Venture into one of the fastest growing businesses on earth right now on Cannabis Economy. Converging with the brightest and best cannabis leaders and luminaries, paving the way to progress your profit margin. Capitalize and compound your cannabis portfolio now on Cannabis Economy with your host, Seth Adler. Alaska Cannabis, a final frontier. Yes, Alaska. Charlotte Green and Cindy Franklin give us the yin and yang of the Alaska Cannabis Economy. Welcome to the Cannabis Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Adler. Charlotte Green, yes, that's Charlotte Green, the news anchor that quit on air to run a dispensary, gives us that backstory as well as what she's up to now. Then Cindy Franklin shares with us what's happening on the regulatory front as it's her responsibility to get that framework set in the great state of Alaska. Check us out on Twitter, at Can Economy. That's Can with two N's and the word economy. Or check us out on Facebook using the same handle, Charlotte Green and Cindy Franklin of Alaska. So Charlotte Green of the Alaska Cannabis Club, Charlotte Green of the newly minted Go Green, both of which we'll get into. Um, but, you know, if uh, the kids are listening, it's Charlotte Green of F it, I quit, right? That's the Charlotte Green we're talking to. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> so uh, is it, you, are you really from Alaska? I mean, that, uh, that is the first thing that I asked you when we spoke the first time. Yeah, no, I'm definitely from Alaska. I, I grew up there, elementary, middle, and high school, and moved away for college and only moved back for my reporting job, my last reporting job at KTVA in Anchorage. Right. Okay. Uh, where did Charlo meet uh, Broadcast, or where did Broadcast meet Charlo? Well, while I was in college, actually, when I signed up for college, I set out... Um, on the pre-med track, and I learned pretty early on that it would take a lot more math than I had in me, and a lot more science than I had it, and and several more years than I wanted to in order to attain that goal. So I started searching for what it is that I wanted to do, and right around this time, I saw a news story out of Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, about these two judges that had accepted more than $2 million in kickbacks in exchange for sending... Um, poor kids to jail, like actual jail for things like passing notes and posting Facebook posts about teachers or administrators. And in the process, these judges ruined thousands of lives. And I couldn't understand how no one spoke up for these people that had been harmed for years and years and years. And I knew if I had a microphone, I could make a difference. So I became a journalist to make a difference because of that story. That's awesome. And uh, and you came out and um, you were you stayed down in, in the Texas uh, kind of area, uh, a couple stops along the way, West Virginia, Georgia, Tennessee. Um, before you got to Alaska, I guess, what, what were some key, uh, key learnings along the way from uh, your initial kind of broadcast career? I think <laughs> the key learnings were that um, my job was bullshit. I think that was a big thing that stood out pretty early. You already knew back then? Well, you, you were. I interned in 2007 and 2008, right around the time of budget cuts, when news stations were changing everything and shifting the focus 
completely from how do we provide good coverage to how do we generate more dollars. And once you have something that's supposed to be a service out there competing with private interests, how are you supposed to protect the integrity of that service? And, and so that was my entry into journalism, just seeing um, the different, like, why, why are the Dallas Cowboys leading the news five days a week in Dallas, Texas, when there are people like getting shot and killed? And, and, and half of what really needs to get covered isn't being covered. I interned in Dallas. So, so that was right. just like a big question thing for me. And then working as a news anchor and journalist out in West Virginia, I actually ended up getting in quite a bit of trouble for, um, doing actual journalism for being a community watchdog. I did a story on an eighth grader named Jared Markham. He was 14 years old and he wore a t-shirt to school that had the picture of a gun and the words protect your right on it. And it wasn't against the dress code or anything. We analyzed all of that, looked over all the, um, the, the charging documents. Yeah. Well, he was arrested at school for wearing that shirt and refusing to ch- take it off and initially charged with making terroristic threats and disturbing the education process and there was another third charge in there and he was hauled away at middle school and charged without his parents even being called and because of all the attention that this story generated even though all the other stations refused to cover it because of the ties that um the judge and people in the school had with the community it ruffled a lot of feathers with our advertisers. The station's largest advertiser actually called in a favor and had me taken off the air. I mean, it just, it is what it is. That was, <laughs> that was crazy for me. That was kind of a, a slap in the face because there, I mean, this was the kind of story that you get into journalism for, to be able to, to right. write a wrong. Like, here it is, here's a 14-year-old kid, and this is going to ruin his life, like, period. And so getting to address that, that was, um, it was reaffirming for me who got into this just to make a difference and to, to help but seeing the cost I had to pay, which was at the end of the situation, my job there, um, I think that was really eye-opening and put me in a position where when I accepted the job in Anchorage, Alaska, I knew going in that if I was going to be fulfilling my purpose, it wasn't going to be as a journalist. So when did you uh, launch Alaska Cannabis Club? What what month? April. April 20th of 2014. Okay, April 20th. That's a specific day. That's 4-20-13. Uh, um, and uh, why did you feel uh, the need to do that? Well, I was working as the crime and courts reporter initially. And since uh-huh. cannabis was only a crime at the time, that fell into my lap. We were doing a lot of discussion surrounding Ballot Measure 2, the ballot initiative that would legalize adult usage in Alaska, adult cannabis usage mm-hmm. in Alaska. And so I got to report on all things marijuana. I did a special where I was flown to Colorado and Washington 
to look at the aftermath of legalization and show Alaskans what our state could look like if they decided to vote yes. And while I was out there, I learned about the real harm of cannabis prohibition. And when I got back to Alaska and realized that there were patients that were going without what I learned was in fact life-saving medicine as a journalist, um, I knew that there was probably only one person on the planet that could take action and and actually help this group of people that were in desperate need. And so that person was me and and I took action <laughs> and I created the Alaska Cannabis Club um, as a way for people that needed help to get the help to address their medical conditions. Okay. So that's April 20th. Um, how uh, smoothly did it go for the rest of April, May, June? That was growing really, really rapidly. Um, faster than anyone had expected when we set out to, well, when I set out to launch the club. As soon as we went online, we saw how um, how immense the need was. We were expecting maybe a couple dozen likes in the first day or so, and when we got a few hundred in and received all of the messages thanking us for, for just being there. I mean, no one even knew what we were going to be doing, but the response was so overwhelming, um, I knew immediately that running the Alaska Cannabis Club and being a reporter were not two things that could coexist in one life, so I decided then and there that running the Alaska Cannabis Club and fighting for medical marijuana patients and safe access and freedom, that's what I was going to do. So you knew that. I wonder, you know, because I've certainly seen uh, the footage, (laughs) Um, how much of that um, was in the moment? So first things first, uh, what day was it? It was a Sunday, and on weekends we have a really, really late news team, a skeleton staff. So I knew that I had been assigned to cover the Alaska Cannabis Club because I cleared it with my boss earlier that week. We sent it out on a Thursday, but because of different things happening that day, the story had to wait till Sunday. So I get to work and we go and interview Solomon and his mother, Tilly. Solomon's the club's youngest um, medical marijuana card holder. At 21, he was battling testicular cancer and it was his own mother that urged him to join the Alaska Cannabis Club. And so both of them agreed not to beforehand, agreed not to admit that neither interviewer was also the weed lady they were doing um, the interview about. And so we were able to cut all that together into a a pre-taped segment and that aired and the teleprompter is running with another script that I had written and put into it that doesn't include um, Fuck I Quit, of course. And I just start to speak from my heart and I say everything you heard is why I, the actual owner of the Alaska Cannabis Club, will be dedicating all of my energy toward fighting for freedom and fairness, which begins with legalizing marijuana here in Alaska. And as for this job, well, not that I have a choice, but fuck it, I quit. Time to converge listeners to our product and service supplying sponsors. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. 
Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Gather with fellow cannabis companies past the Golden Gate to San Francisco and the 2016 International Cannabis Business Conference, February 13th and 14th at the fabulous Hyatt Regency. Register now at internationalcbc.com. Learn from leading industry luminaries like cannabis celebrity legend Tommy Chong, former Surgeon General Dr. Joycelyn Elders, best-selling author Anthony Sullivan, and so many more. Plus, exhibitors, expert panels, and education made to calibrate your new or existing cannabis plan. Catch CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belville Show at the 2016 International Cannabis Business Conference and register at InternationalCBC.com now. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem, so I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Commercial consumption completed. Now back to Cannabis Economy, only on CannabisRadio.com. Here's Seth Adler. You know, it, it really is amazing that you, I mean, as far as the history of broadcast, um, this is, uh, you know, up there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like, there is no other example of this. No, I know. <laughs> I, get, I get emails all the time from different journalism classes um, telling me about how they're discussing the fuck it, I quit thing and would like to do stories about journalistic ethics and this and that. I think it's cool. It's a conversation that needs to be had. Yeah, got it. Okay. Okay, so then that does bring us to, to Go Green. Um, it's a pretty ambitious uh, thing uh, that you have put together here. Um, you know, uh, take us through, you know, uh, what it is. What is Go Green? Green is an acronym for grassroots evolution through education, networking, and empowerment. And Go Green is all about cultivating diversity, unity, and opportunity in cannabis to help heal the communities that have been harmed by prohibition most. So what we're doing right now is looking for people that want to stand up and lead their communities through the end of prohibition to ensure that the result is one that will serve their communities. And to do that, we're having these go gra- go green grassroots groups where people meet monthly and discuss 
different things in relate as it relates to cannabis advocacy or the cannabis industry and how people can get involved and get active in order to achieve their goals. Excellent. Uh, when is the, the first thing, Charlo? Well, we are launching in a number of cities. Phoenix, Portland, San Francisco, Houston, Las Vegas, West Palm, Miami, and Baltimore, and the list is growing, and all of that is taking place between February and March of this year. Okay, so I uh, tracked your states there, and each state either has kind of a ballot initiative or a medical program, with the exception of Houston. Are you are you talking about Houston, Texas? Yes. Yeah, I'm talking about Houston, Texas, and Portland. <laughs> why is that? Why is that a, a a city that's in that initial rollout? That seems like an interesting uh, choice. Well, I think it's important that everyone understand that regardless of where you're at, this fight is happening in your community, and the same applies right. to Houston. Whether or not people can put citizen initiatives on a ballot or not, or in the case of Texas, where they need to work out how they're going to lobby and convince the people in power to make the decisions that will impact their communities positively, we need to get started now, especially in a place like Houston, Texas. Got to start organizing, Uh got to start game planning, and got to start demanding change. So that's that's why we're in Houston. All right. So I'm excited uh, because, uh, as we know, uh, there is uh, proof <laughs> uh, that uh, when you put your uh, mind to something, you you absolutely do it. Um, we talked through a, a fair amount of that uh, here. Um, what, what would you say, you know, um, to to a young uh, person, um, you know, let's put. Charlotte back in um, her shy kind of uh, early uh, days before you kind of realized who you were, were and and the power that you have because um, we you know we do have uh, folks that are aspiring entrepreneurs folks that are not necessarily uh, in charge of their um, you know their 100 uh, percent faculty what advice would you give uh, someone to, to find that inner power Just keep on pushing. Feel your way through life and never settle. Keep on feeling for what feels right, what feeds your soul, what energizes you, what pushes you. When you wake up in the morning and you know you have a 15-hour day ahead, if it isn't something you are looking forward to, then that's not for you to be doing for the rest of your life. Well, there you have it. Charlo Green, uh, you are certainly blazing a path. Uh, Really, you're one of the special people that we have in the industry. Um, So thank you for your efforts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Seth. You got it. So I'm in Anchorage, Alaska with Cindy Franklin. Yes. This is uh, amazing. (laughs) I mean, for me, right? And uh, we're we're in your brand new offices, uh, which have unbelievable views trust me yes is that fair yes that is fair and it's cloudy today you can't even see all the mountains this is almost a 360 degree mountain view from up here it's amazing i can see denali on a good day now let's just go ahead and dive right in sure where are we in this process so we're heading into the second of six board meetings that craft and shape the rules of this new industry so the commercialized aspects of uh, marijuana establishments in our law was left as sort of, I, I describe it as a loose basket weave. It was an eight-page initiative that included personal use and possession rules. So the commercial aspects of it 
are, are, are holes waiting to be filled by regulations written by either the Alcoholic Beverage Control Board or a Marijuana Control Board if one was created. One was created. So that board is going to write these rules. And until they're seated, they're not seated yet because mm-hmm. the governor's office is still in the process of choosing those individuals to fill those seats. So the ABC board will continue to work on this and will kind of kind of like a relay race. We'll hand off this baton as soon as those new individuals are seated. So we're heading into board meeting number two of mm-hmm. six board meetings. The Department of Law wants us to have at least two, but preferably three board meetings for each set of regulations. So we've broken the work up into three sets. And SAT 1 has had its first board meeting, uh-huh. April 30th, mm-hmm. and it's now up for public comment. And SAT 2 will be introduced at the next board meeting on July 2nd. We're hoping that's a marijuana control board. Okay. So the governor hasn't necessarily said that, uh, you know, the board will be in place by that point, but that's what you're hoping. That's what We're you're shooting for, right. and there have been early indications out of the governor's office that that was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of other things going on in state government that have been fairly distracting. You have a little bit of a budget thing. Happening. We have a little bit of a thing. And so it's, <laughs> you know, of course, I'm always like, what about marijuana? You know, but, and I know there are a lot of people also who have that question, and I, uh, the press release um, from the Department of Commerce in terms of how a government shutdown would affect us was very careful to say the ABC would be fairly unaffected and fairly oh, unscathed by a partial shutdown because we're a receipts-funded agency, mm-hmm. so it doesn't really save the state any money to shut us down. So right. that we are just continuing to work. We're ignoring all of that, putting our fingers in our ears and saying, la, 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 because <laughs> we have this very big job to do. Indeed. I'll see you July 2nd, that yeah. type of thing. <laughs> all right, so let's just say that the board gets seated. Let's just say that we have a good meeting on July 2nd. Then what happens? How do we get to step three? So um, set two would be introduced on July 2nd, and then it'll go up for public comment between July 2nd and August 10th, which is our target date for the next board meeting. So we basically have a board meeting every month between now and November, starting on July 2nd. July, August, September, October, November. They're built very carefully to make sure that there are 30 days in between those meetings because that is the amount of time that the Administrative Procedure Act requires for a good public comment period, a legal public comment period. So we're trying to build in as many of those public comment periods as possible. We anticipate having three, one for each set, Mm -hmm. but if something goes wrong, um, if we have to redo a set for some reason, we want to have some cushion built in on the back end, some extra public comment periods, just to make sure that um, you know, we, we don't know what we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. And we want to be ready. We want to have the timeline built out so that we're ready for the unexpected. And if we're uh, coming off of April 30th, going to July 2nd, what are you hearing in, in the meantime? What have you heard from the public? Well, we have received public comment on that set. We anticipate this week getting that public comment up on our website. So essentially the public mm-hmm. can view the public comment. That would make sense, Indeed. right? Yes. And we are even hoping, we don't know if our IT has this capability, but we're hoping to do is to set up 
it, it up in such a way that you can comment on the public comment. In other words, that people can riff off one another's comments Great. because that is the way that people function now. You know, with <laughs> share. Uh, they yes, share. they share and they comment, and mm. you know, you always hear these jokes about you know, if you read an article about yourself, don't read the comments. You know, we want comment. We Good. want as much comment as possible. And one of the really important things about getting public comment on each of these sets is. We're going to write these rules mm-hmm. between now and November. January 19th, our legislature is gaveling back in. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of interest in marijuana. They had eight bills. They only passed one. But uh, if they come in inclined to gut the work that we've done, being able to point to the fact that the people of the state of Alaska have weighed in on this and mm-hmm. that they've had a lot of opportunity and they have taken advantage of that, I believe will work to protect the work that we've done. Time to converge listeners to our product and service supplying sponsors. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. Commercial consumption completed. Now back to Cannabis Economy, only on CannabisRadio.com. Here's Seth Adler. So some of this is because you just know how to do stuff. Yeah. Uh, some of this is that you're actually learning from other states, seeing right. what other states have done yes. and learning, testing yes. first, amazing. Yes. Right? You know, yes. <laughs> congratulations <Right. laughs> on not being first so that you get to do testing first. Right. Um, what else are you taking from other states as far as the amount of licenses? Uh, do you have numbers on what you are looking for? Well, liquor licenses are limited in Alaska mm-hmm. and transferable. And what we find as an agency, one of the things we're really trying to learn from is if we, you know, if we in a fantasy world could redo liquor licensing, we can't. We have a very stable, healthy liquor industry in Alaska. You will definitely be able to enjoy a drink while you're here. (laughs) And, um, 
the the limited nature of those licenses plus the transferability equals this crazy secondary market for those licenses. That is something we do not want with marijuana. We do not want people entering this market for speculatory purposes, trying to get a license, not because you want to operate it, but just so you can sell it, make Flip some it. quick money. And so... You know, at first, we were talking pretty openly about no limits, no transferability. The problem with no transferability is things happen. You know, people get hit by a bus, you know, a corporation, you think everybody's going to work out, and that guy on the end doesn't, right? And so we, we are leaning toward a limited transferability of person, not location, because the transferability of location, you can see where that invites those speculators back. But transferability of person is kind of a necessary thing in business. So we're trying to strike that balance. And we're really in favor at the state level of no limitations on the number of licenses. Part of the reason is because when you look at our initiative and you find where it talks about limitations on numbers of licenses, it really talks about that as a local governing body function. And that seems logical to us, you know, that the people close to the ground who are in the community, who are going to be affected by the number of licenses issued are the ones that should and can make those decisions about whether they're going to limit the number of licenses. So the license will be limited on a city basis. Right. So for example, I mean, here we are in the municipality of Anchorage. Mm -hmm. You know, the municipality of Anchorage has their own assembly, has their own clerk's office, has all their own... uh, you know, in government structure. And if they decide that they want to put a numerical limit on the number of cultivation licenses that are issued in Anchorage, you know, they, they're definitely going to have the right to zone it. We mm-hmm. have those zoning and a lot of local control elements in our liquor licensing law that we're going to bring over right. in marijuana. But that additional layer of them setting the number versus us setting the number, it does a lot of things for us. I mean, you can imagine, first of all, you know, it puts the onus on them to figure out who gets the licenses and who doesn't, you know. It also empowers them to do it, just that. And it empowers them, <laughs> right. you know, to say, you know, sometimes I've I've talked to people here in Alaska who visited Denver. And they come back and they grab me by the shoulders and they say, don't let that happen right. to us. Right. There are marijuana places everywhere. And they're all freaked out, right? Yeah. And so, you know, they have then that gives them that power at the local community to determine, you know, what that marijuana commercial establishment, you know, community looks like in inside their city. Uh, just quickly, tangent, be, uh, because you brought it up, uh, are you able to uh, satiate those claims in terms of pointing to arrests, pointing to criminality, pointing to, you know, yes, there are many, many uh, Colorado uh, cannabis businesses, but as the crime is down and all of that, do you, you know, what are your well, thoughts? Well, I have Because you're, you're, you're yes, you know, yes. former and prosecutor I am a former that. prosecutor, yeah. and I do, I have a lot of perspective on criminal justice statistics. And, you know, first of all, all of the data around marijuana is a little fuzzy. Mm-hmm. easily manipulated and we I try to stay away from uh, pointing to or using any data as authoritative at this point because I feel that a lot of the agencies gathering data to date are agenda driven to prove you know that 
that legalizing marijuana is a bad idea, mm-hmm. you know, and so all of their data is shaded in that way, and it just is what it is. You know, too much of the data gathering at this point has been to either, you know, advocate for or advocate against legalization, and that's because all these states are on the edge, mm-hmm. you know. Where we are in Alaska is we've done it. Yep. We've done it. Now we're in the job of moving forward. Mm-hmm. And now uh, it seems like they've got the right person uh, installed oh. here. So well. uh, I hope that we can talk again in August yeah. when we've got a little bit, uh, you know, more uh, information. Right. But uh, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, very good. All right, Sydney okay. Franklin. The Alaskan Way. There you have two uh, big personalities, uh, different personalities, both from the great state of Alaska, both doing uh, different things in the same industry. Uh, so uh, very much appreciate Charlotte Green, very much appreciate Cindy Franklin. Please check us out on Twitter, at Can Economy. Same thing on Facebook. Happy to be on Cannabis Radio.